Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. And if this is the first time you're listening to the show, hey, welcome. Welcome aboard. Uh, we're picking up new listeners apparently every week, I hear. But this show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court. That's avoiding probate, which is very important in today's world. And as far as elder law is concerned, we're trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion, charitable giving, you know, a variety of different subjects. But right now with me, I uh, behind the board right there, we have my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. And one of the attorneys from our office, one of the newest attorney from our office, Eugene. And Eugene, how do you say your last name? Krivelitz. Uh, Krivelitz. So let me ask you something. Do you speak any other languages besides English? I also speak Russian fluently. Okay. Um, well, let's let's get into the questions. You had a couple of questions you went over, so um, let's start with the first one. The first question is, uh, what kind of a life event uh, that you could think of uh, from the top of your head that would necessitate or be that you would recommend for a person to come in and speak to you regarding their estate planning? And here's one of the things that's uh, that's really very important. Let's say, especially between husband and wife, if one of the couple dies, you should probably see a lawyer fairly quickly. And there are a couple of different reasons. One, obviously, your documents may be out of date. Maybe your spouse is your only person you have on the power of attorney. Maybe you want to put some children onto it. But for tax purposes, it can be extremely important because there's certain things we can do uh, options we have within nine months of death. And you can get an extension, so it's not like an, a nine-month absolute deadline. But there's certain things we could do. Let's say a couple that have a $7 million estate. A husband leaves everything to wife. Wife does nothing. In today's world in New York State, the children are going to have to pay $700,000 in taxes. Well, the wife can make an election, depending on how well she planned in advance, but she can make an election where we can easily get a couple of million dollars out tax-free through the husband's estate, and then the wife can leave another six million tax-free in in New York. So that's one of the things you can do. And of course, very wealthy people, um, and, and 
people don't do this a lot because they don't think they have to do anything. Husband dies. Let's say they have a $22 million estate. Wife does nothing. She's lost $11 million, $11,700,000 exemption for the children. So if they have a $22 million estate, not going to file for that um, exemption, you know, what we call a portability, will cost, could cost the children about $5 million in taxes. So if, if one of the a husband and wife, especially if you're, you're a high net worth individual, doesn't go see a lawyer, you could lose a lot. Now, even, you know, middle class people, again, there's certain things we can do. Maybe we can protect some assets for medical bills, nursing home bills if a husband and wife dies. Um, and again, a lot of times you may need to take a second look at your documents because maybe you got a husband and wife, they serve as each other's power of attorney, healthcare proxy. Maybe we want to move some of the children up a little bit. So, you know, if you, if you do need a power of attorney, you used to need to use it in uh, a hurry. You don't necessarily want a deceased person being number one because at that point they may have to show a death certificate, show it to the bank. The bank may have to show it to a legal department. And you could lose precious time if there's an emergency situation. So that is the number one life event, you know, if, if something happens to a spouse. But also there are other things. If you have a new grandchild born, you may want to take a look at it. Of course, if you're relatively younger, you have a child born, you may want to take a look at things. Who's the guardian for the child? You know, anybody anybody who has a child under 18 should have a guardian appointed in their will. And sometimes you have a, uh, let's say you have a new child born, you need a guardian appointed in case something happens to you and the, and the parent, the other parent. And, of course, in some cases, say, you don't even have other parents, but you need a guardian to be appointed. And that you can do through your will. You can do it through a deed, though I've almost never seen anybody do that. But the, the point being is if something happens to you and you leave a child under the age of 18, uh, the court will administer it for that child. So ordinarily, you don't want the court administering anything. You want to do it. You want to pick the people to take care of your child. You want to choose the people where your child is going to choose where they go to school, things like that. So the birth of a child will change. birth of a grandchild, you may want to change your will because maybe you want to leave the grandchild in your will. Um, so birth and death are, are you know, two of the main things. And, of course, one of the other things could happen if you have an executor, let's say you're not married, you have an executor, but your executor dies, you may want to take another look at it and make sure that you have the right person in place. And, you know, a lot of times you, you always want two lives in being to, to handle things. You don't want to rely on just one heartbeat, so to speak. So if something happens to, let's say you have your younger brother as executor and he passes away before you, you may want to take a look at it. Do you have a nephew and niece? Who do you have as executor? So there, there are a lot of different factors, but death, I would say, and birth are two of the things that happen. Sometimes when you move, it's important because, you know, like if you move to Florida, there are different rules on executors in Florida than they have in New York. That's one case when you may want to see a local attorney in Florida, let's say if you leave from New York to Florida. Um, and, of course, taxes could be different in, in different states. Florida, there's no estate, there's no death tax. New York, there is. So if you move from Florida to New York, maybe you should see a lawyer here in New York because maybe you saw somebody in Florida and said, hey, you don't have to worry about estate death taxes. But they don't have an estate and death tax in Florida where they do in New York. You move to New Jersey, you may want to look at the Medicaid rules. There's very little programs for home care Medicaid or nursing home Medicaid that you can qualify for in New Jersey. So that's one of the things. If you move to another state, and tax-wise now, you know, Again, people are moving from New York to, to Florida, 
and it's much better tax-wise, but it isn't better as far as Medicaid is concerned and home care Medicaid. So moving, I would say, is a reason to change things. Uh, birth, death. Moving geographically, I don't think necessarily is, you know, if you move from Brooklyn to Queens or Brooklyn to Staten Island, I would say that's not a reason to change things. But it, it's always good to look at things every few years and figure out, you know, do the documents, read the documents. Do they make sense? Are they up to date? You know, a lot of times we see, uh, let's say, a 40-year-old child come in and their mother's will had her 90-year-old brother as executor, and now you got to deal with a 90-year-old to probate a will, which is not necessarily good. So, you know, look at things. Make sure they make sense. See what's, you know, best for you. Now, Eugene, you had another question, I think, that was uh, popping up. Uh, yeah, just to follow up on uh, some of the things you already touched upon, but if I have all the basic planning documents in place, uh, let's say power of attorney, healthcare proxy, last will and testament, should I be concerned about the laws changing, or how frequently should I look into those documents to see that nothing has changed and that... Um, my, my estate is protected. Well, ordinarily, like law of wills, I don't think we've seen a major change in 150 years. The biggest change I think we've seen, we saw, was the executive orders were signed by Governor Cuomo, where somebody could sign a will by Zoom. You would, didn't have to necessarily see the testator signing the will in your presence. We could do it by, in effect, computer. But that's, you know, been revoked. Um, Taxes would be the one thing if they do change the tax laws. And there's so much speculation. And one of the things, unless you want to go crazy, don't read too much on the Internet because there are crazy p proposals being thrown around. And a lot of them are rejected. Like, in other words, uh, there was some conversation about the stepped-up basis being abolished on, on capital gains. Like if you bought a house for $50,000 30 years ago, and it's worth a million dollars today. There, there, there was some talk. If you passed away, your children would have to pay the capital gains tax. Let's say $300,000 for an even number. Well, uh, Congressman Neal, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, said that's dead on arrival. And he's a Democrat. And all you need are a few Democrats saying that they won't vote for a tax increase. And tax increases, you know, won't happen. You, Republicans are not going to vote for tax increases, and all you need is a few Democrats to say no. So you can go literally crazy and, you know, watch I'm wrong that, that something stupid, something crazy gets passed in the next week or two, um, which I, I wouldn't put it past some of the Democrats out there. But I wouldn't panic because you need every single Democrat practically to, to vote for any tax increase, and that's not likely something really crazy is not likely to happen. But... We do have to play it by ear. We do have to worry about the death tax going, the rates going up or the limits thresholds going down. That could be a problem. New York, I don't think they're going to do that because we're losing too many people to Florida as it is. Rich people can move. You tax them too much in New York, they move to Florida. And it's just the the way things are. All right, Eugene, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you go to, where did you, you're, you're born in Russia, I assume. Or was it Ukraine uh, or Belarus? Belarus. 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 Yeah. Okay, so you were born there. Where, where did you go to high school? Where did you grow up? Uh, I came uh, to America in 2001. I uh, lived in Brooklyn when I moved to America. Um, I was 11 years old. I went to Brooklyn Tech High School. 
Then I went to Baruch College. And after college, I went to New York University School of Law, where I graduated in 2015. Been practicing as an attorney for almost six years, and uh, recently have started, obviously, in this firm. Okay, and what did you do immediately before you came into this firm? Uh, immediately before coming here, I worked at the Staten Island uh, District Attorney's Office. I was a prosecutor there for almost two years. All right, Michael, I think we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Uh, Next up, we got one of the familiar guests on our show, Senator Martin Golden. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, and thank you for all that you've done. Okay, now we had a a few people have commented positively on the uh, Catholic Charities Dinner. And it it seemed to be a success, was it? Michael, it was the best one they've had to date. We raised uh, almost about $1.6 million. And it was uh, a lot due to the great honorees that we had. And you stepping up to the plate, Mike Connors, to be one of those honorees helped us to get to that number. And we had some great honorees. Uh, We had yourself and, of course, uh, Dominic Kammer, who is the... Uh, CEO and president of Investors Bank, and uh, we had these two great priests. Both of them are chaplains to the fire department and one to the police department. The fire department is Monsignor Delendic, and the police department is Monsignor Romano. And they helped the police department and, of course, the fire department as well as you, and uh, you had the most people, as a matter of fact, and I want to thank you. All right. Well, you know, it's a pleasure. You know, the work that Catholic Charities does, and we're talking about Catholic Charities at Brooklyn and Queens. Not that we want to knock the Catholic Charities, the Archdiocese of New York, but Catholic Charities in Brooklyn, Queens is in our heart, and they do a better job. I think we could say that. Well, I think it's 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 knowledge, common knowledge out there that Brooklyn and Queens is the uh, uh, one of the largest in the entire nation, 
And uh, when you have almost 5 million or more people living in the communities and uh, the, the many different languages that are spoken, and we're going to be doing pop-ups um, on the 17th and 18th of, uh, 17th and 19th, I'm sorry, 16th and 18th of uh, November in communities in Queens and Brooklyn. And we'll have 1,000 people, 2,000 people show up at 9.30 the night before so that we can give them food. And the food is a 40-pound box of uh, food that will last for a family of three for a week. Uh, we have seniors that come there. we got to make sure they get home and that they're safe and that they're able to carry these goods and that they have the food on the table. And our good parish here, Dan Block, Our Lady of Angels, and uh, others have opened up. We started off with 20 food, 24 food banks. We now have in our churches over 50 food banks. Uh, and we've done that with the uh, help, obviously, of the many people that came to our event, our great honoring of you and uh, our honorees. Uh, that gives us the dollars to be able to put uh, these uh, food pantries online. And uh, it's good, all good. How many, do you have any estimate of how many people have been fed through these food pantries through Catholic Charities? It's well over a million. I, I can't tell you how many. If I look, if you times it, uh, it's probably closer to seven to eight million if you times it by the number of boxes that uh, each box is for uh, three people for five days, and you put that all together, we're anywhere between seven to 10 million people have been, uh, meals have been given out. Oh, very good. And I, I mean, listen, this is God's work. It is. And I got to thank Monsignor Alopinto. He does a great job. And Father Keating uh, and all the staff that's, uh, that works for Catholic Charities do an outstanding job. And it's not easy. And uh, I want to thank all those volunteers, uh, the Carpenters Union, the uh, Electrical Union, the uh, uh, EJ Electric, uh, you name it. They come. We need 80 each time we do this. We get 80 volunteers. Uh, and it's great to be able to load those trucks, be able to give this food out, and to make sure that these people get home safely. So thank you, all you volunteers as well out there, for all the great work that you do for us. Now, if somebody wants to learn more about Catholic Charities and all the pro, and I don't think anybody could list all the programs, probably Monsignor Lepinto, nobody other, no other living person on earth. But how many programs does Catholic Charity run in Brooklyn and Queens? We run over 160 different programs. Now, if you take a look at those numbers uh, and the number of employees, we're about uh, over 2,000 employees at Catholic Charities. Now, you break them down into the different categories of the different programs that we run, whether it be homelessness, whether it be food, whether it be mental health. Um, just think about the senior housing alone. We have over almost, it's just about 5,000 units of senior housing in Brooklyn and Queens. You know what that is? The only person in the entire nation that beats that is the federal government. We are the second to the federal government when it comes to housing for seniors. And that's not including the, the housing for homeless families, uh, for homeless vets. Uh, that's, that doesn't even include those numbers. So the work gets done with 160 programs and all the housing that's going on is really something to be proud of. And uh, Catholic Charities does a great, great, great job. Yeah, and I mean, I the number of senior citizens where they can have safe housing at their age and, and secure and some security and things like that. I mean, that is a tremendous gift to the elderly. It is indeed. And guess what? There's a number out there, I don't know how real it is, but uh, 200,000 seniors are looking for housing. We have a list just in Catholic Charities alone that's well over 12,000 people on that list to get housing. Uh, right down the block here over on uh, 90, 90th Street and Shore Road, uh, you have 600 units 
the turnover is about 60 units a year. So that's 10%. So if you have in a 10-year period, you're looking at 600 in a turnover. So it takes, you know, a, which is good. Our seniors are living longer, they're living better. Uh, but it takes a long time for a turnover. So you need more housing for the seniors that are coming, especially, you know, baby boomers that need, uh, that have come of age and they need these apartments today. Now, we're going to change the subject dramatically right now. We're going to talk a little bit about our beloved mayor. Um, you're a police officer. You know a lot of firemen. What is going on with the vaccine mandates? I don't know. I have no idea why we have to do uh, and have this um, everybody vaccinated. If you think about it, if all you heard in May and June is about, you know, that herd. Uh, if you got herd, uh, uh, you would be able to not to have everybody take the vaccination. There's a constitution in this great country, and we should be going according to the constitution in this great nation. And it should be up to the people to make that decision. And parents should be making decisions on their 5 to 11-year-old children, not public school system, not the school boards. It should be up to the parents to make those decisions for their children. Um, I lost my brother, uh, and they told me he lost him because of COVID. My brother had ALS, and uh, he's in good, he's with the good Lord. And uh, but nobody could have known he died from COVID. He died you know, six hours is how long he was in NYU for. Uh, so the I don't understand, especially now. There was a fire uh, this past Saturday in. Um, the Bronx, and uh, a seven-year-old boy died. There were 70 firemen required at that site to get that fire out and to get it under control and to save lives. Well, it, suppose we didn't have that 70. Suppose we only had 30 or 40 or 50. How many other people would have died? We need our firemen to be able to do what they believe is right for them and their families, them that are having children, those that are anticipating having children, they don't want to get vaccinated. They shouldn't have to get vaccinated. And they should be allowed to do their job. Same thing with our police department. Our police department. Could you imagine they defunded our police department? It's crazy. They shouldn't be defunding. They should be putting more money into our police department. Unfortunately, they're not. And we have a number of them that are not vaccinated. And when you take a look at the crime that's going on across this city, we don't need less cops. We need more cops. Fires, we need not less firemen. We need more firemen. And there are a number of houses today that are closed. Companies, not houses, companies that are closed. There are two companies generally in a firehouse. So if you close a uh, company, they say a firehouse is still open, but you've lost the company. And the company could be a ladder company. It could be a number of men that we have. And it's a shame that we did, that that happened. And uh, uh, I got to say right now, and then you had two sets of rules here. What's one set of rules? One set went into effect this past weekend, where majority of the city workers had to have their vaccination. And then the correction department, which I love, my brother was a captain in corrections, theirs is December 1st. How can you have two sets of dates for city employees? There should be one date. Why two dates? It's crazy. So I'm very upset that this is happening, and I'm just hoping that the people, the good listeners, don't have any losses uh, from fire or from crime, and that uh, this mayor and this city gets its act together and uh, gets our firemen and our police officers back to work and our sanitation and our other unions so that we can have a cleaner, 
better, safer city. And we were, at one time, the greatest city in the greatest nation in the world. We have to fight to get that back again, because we are the greatest city, but we have gone down. We are not the city we used to be, and we need to be able to build that back up. Well, let me ask you something. What are, what are the objections to people not getting vaccinated? Well, the one is, which I mentioned is those having wishing to have children. Uh, they don't want that uh, um, vaccination. Uh, the vaccination that they have, A, you can still get the, vac- the, uh, the disease. Um, B, you can still pass it on. C, um, it, it, it's, it's great if that what, what it's done. It prevents supposed people from dying. It gives you better resources of living through the virus. And I think that's important that you live through the virus. But having and being required to take the vaccination when you have 80% to 90% of the city uh, workforce already with it, um, I think herd uh, uh, vaccination is already there. It's already there and people are already living. I haven't heard of anybody getting it in the past, I don't know how long. And uh, God willing, that's the way it goes. It's a, it's a virus of the past, which we all know it's not true. It's going to be around for a long time. And we'll be taking shots for this, like the virus, uh, the annual flu shot. This will probably become the annual flu shot as well. All right. Now, let me ask you something. You were in the military, right? Yes. When we were in the military, I think they used to stick your arm with, I don't know how many needles. 40 shots? Yeah. So we never had a choice. We had to take it. Now, what, what's the difference today? And And listen, I'm not... I'm not a person who's saying, you know, hey, fire all these cops and everything else. But what's the difference? The big difference is that when you went to the military, you were going into different lands. You were leaving this country and you were going into countries that turned around with dysentery. And uh, uh, it was just ugly in, in some of the towns and villages and countries that we would go into. Uh, so it's uh, vaccination was to prevent us from getting any of the diseases that may be in these countries, towns and villages uh, that the American soldier would go. Uh, so that's been something that's been around for a long time. Uh, what's the difference in it? I think the difference is that the uh, it's still uh, a constitutional. Uh, you, you, you had to get drafted years ago. There's no draft today, so there's a choice for you if you want to join the military. Um, eventually, you may see a draft come back because of the way this nation is headed. I hope not, but I see that happening in the future. But there is a difference, and a big difference, and it's called the Constitution. And I believe that we should abide by the Constitution and give the people the ability. Uh, we did what we had to do. We got 80% of the people popul- uh, vaccinated. That's the number, and that's a great number. So we should continue down the road. Well, you know, here's a question. Some of the people, I mean, I know a lot of doctors are saying this, that if you have COVID, you have greater immunity than you do with the vaccine. So if you had COVID and your doctor doesn't recommend you get another shot, how can, why isn't there an exception for somebody who's had COVID not to take the vaccine? There are supposed to be a host of... Uh, different um, ways of not having to take it. There was religious, uh, those that uh, have a, uh, religious issues, uh, and those that also have um, uh, the ones that you just spoke of. Um, there should be uh, exemptions to having to take this uh, shot. Unfortunately, there's not as many uh, um, immunizations out there that are giving us those um, 
requirements that you need to be able to give to the city government uh, to be able to get through and work in the city unions that you were hired by. So that's difficult, and it shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't happen. And you know, there's another thing, of course, the testing option. I know I went to a nursing home to see one of our clients this weekend, and before you go in, they test you. So takes uh, it doesn't take three minutes. Well, I know if I go into Catholic Charities and uh, I have to get temperature taken when I walk in the door, I came into your office here today, I got my temperature taken and a mask given to me. Uh, people are taking the proper precautions as they move through the process. And of course, we're moving in right to the flu season. Now, as a former senator and former city councilman, former cop, I got the vaccination. I got uh, a shot because I was worried about my wife. Uh, my wife has uh, underlying conditions, so I thought it was necessary that I get that shot. So I did it. I took the J&J, &J, and now they tell me I've got to take another shot. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, but uh, I've been around death. Uh, I've been in it. Uh, I've seen it, and I was gifted. I haven't caught the uh, virus, but I have family members that have. And uh, they, some of them suffered mildly. Some took it pretty badly. But if you already had it and you get it again, it's like a headache. It's like it, it's it's gone in two days. Uh, and I've had some of my family members get it more than once. Uh, so it's uh, it's amazing uh, the uh, technology today. And uh, you know we knock uh, Trump. Uh, everybody likes to knock Trump, but it was uh, Trump that got this uh, vaccination up and running in record time, and he should be credited for that. Uh, he did a great job in getting that vaccination. Uh, ready for the people of this great country and the world itself. Uh, so, today. All right. How do you see the elections next year? Not this year's past, but next year. I see the uh, people are pretty fed up, uh, not just here in this city, but across the nation. So I do see um, a president that is out of control, a Congress that can't uh, seem to, even though it's in Democratic hands and the Senate, U.S. Senate is in Democratic hands. They just can't seem to be able to work out and negotiate a bill that would be, you know, workable for the people of this great nation. So I see the people coming out and voting in large numbers next year. And I do believe that we take, uh, the Republicans take the Congress and the U.S. Senate, and they put this president into checkmate. And he should be put into checkmate. He's out of control. And uh, we need... Uh, the nation that we once knew, and it's going to take us a while to get back there. This is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take years, more than five years, to get back to where we were. We lost that time, and the children, the ones that lost the most, and we have to really concentrate on those kids and getting them back to the game as well. All right, Martin Golden, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you for having me. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. 
now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome back again to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. As you know, usually most weeks we have one of the attorneys on, but we're going to shift it up a little bit this week. We're going to have one of our CPAs on. Irina Levitsky, welcome to welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for inviting me today. Great honor to be here. Okay. I've, been, I've been with Connors and Sullivan Tax Department team for over two years. But I'm in tax accounting industry since 2013. My areas of expertise include accounting and taxation of individuals, business, trust, uh, as well as the state and give taxes. And before I became a tax person, I was a math teacher. Okay, so let's talk today about capital gains and step up okay. and basis. All right, let me, okay, what capital gains tax and the stepped up and basis. Now, just for you listeners, because there's been a lot of stuff going on the internet and apparently right now, according to Forbes, which is a very, very reliable source, they're saying that there's not going to be a change in the stepped-up basis or capital gains taxes um, in the near future, which the stepped-up basis is, let's say somebody bought a house for $50,000 30 years ago. They died today, and it's worth, you know, a million dollars. Irina can explain what happens today and what apparently will be for next year, too. Yes, uh, so... Let's say you purchase your house uh, for 50000 and uh, this is the amount that you invested in the property. This is your basis in the property. And say this property is uh, uh, worth now 500000 uh, So your, uh, if you decide to sell this property right now, your taxable gain would be the sale price, 500000 minus your basis in the house, five. 50,000. Uh, so it's equal uh, 450,000 after um, in which you will be paying capital gain taxes after we apply personal residence exemption. Assuming it's your personal residence, obviously. Right. And assuming no other adjustments, so we're doing simplified example here. And uh, you will ask what is the personal residence exemption? This exemption also called 121 exclusion. It's an exemption that excludes up to 250,000 gain from the sale of your personal residence per owner. Per owner, which means if it's husband and wife, it's 250,000 times, times two. two. And it could also be brother and sister or two brothers, two sisters if they own the same house. It could be $250,000 times two. Correct. If you meet certain requirements, First, you have to have an ownership interest in the property, and second, you have, meet, you have to meet the residency test. You have to live in the house uh, two out of five years before the sale. 
Yeah, which is important to some people who are moving to Florida. You know, because if they move to Florida, you may want to keep track of when technically you moved out of the house to figure out when your exclusion, you know, would expire. Now, let me ask you something, because there was a lot of talk about this on the Internet and everything else. Capital gains taxes right now, and apparently, according to Congressman Neal, who's chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, a Democrat, the stepped-up basis, which means when you pass away, the asset steps up to your date of death value, is going to be retained for the next year. And, of course, next year is going to be an election year, so it's unlikely they're going to make a serious change with elections coming up. Can you explain the stepped-up basis? Yes. Um, so what is the stepped-up in basis? Um, under Internal Revenue Code 1014, the basis of the property that you acquired as a beneficiary is its fair market value at the time of death. Uh, this can result in a stepped-up basis or a stepped-down basis. It works both ways. So let's continue our example. If the owner of the property died and the basis in the house is no longer $50,000, it's getting a step up and equal to the fair market value as of date of death. Let's say the market value is 500000 on the day this person passed away. Uh, so what would be our capital gains if you sell the property? Uh, you can easily calculate the difference between sales price, 500000 and the stepped-up basis, also 500000 And that difference would be, correct, zero. There will be no capital, no taxable gains in this example. Okay, now let me, you brought up something that we almost never talk about, step-down basis. Now, ordinarily, when whenever we're dealing with clients, 90, 95% of the time, 95%, 99% of the time, the real estate has gone up over the years. But at the same time, you could buy a stock portfolio that was worth, let's say, $100,000 a year ago and is worth $90,000 when you pass away. Your tax basis would be the lower amount, $90,000, if that's the date of death value. Yes, that's correct. So your value in the stock, which is also getting step up or step down in the basis, would be the average value be between the highest and lowest selling price quoted on that day, our valuation date, date of death. All right, now let me ask you something. We, we do, obviously, in our office, we do a lot of irrevocable trusts. If you switch your asset, let's say your house, and, and you switch your house, do you still get the what we call the 121 exclusion, in other words, the personal residence exemption, if your house is in a trust? Yes. Uh, yes. In fact, many clients asking me, what if my property transferred into the trust, can I still get 121 exclusion if the trust will sell the property? Yes. If you transfer the property into the trust, and you meet the residency test that we discussed, you lived in the property two out of five years before the sale. And very important, you have life estate and power of appointment over the property. You are still entitled to personal residence exemption from the gain. Uh, okay, and, and here's one of the things too. Um, a lot of times you read articles that say you could lose the stepped up basis on a transfer to an irrevocable trust. And that is certainly true, but you got to be careful what you're reading 
because in New York, we do an irrevocable trust that's kind of a hybrid. It's an irrevocable trust for Medicaid purposes to protect the house, the assets from nursing home bills. But at the same time, it's not an irrevocable trust as far as the IRS is concerned because we have what we call a life estate. Obviously, you have the exclusive right to live in the property for as long as you're alive, and you can change the beneficiaries, and not even the combination, but that's what gives you the stepped-up basis. In other words, and people feel fairly comfortable putting their house in a trust, knowing they can change the beneficiaries, knowing also that they have the exclusive right to live there, because I guess one of, one of the um, fears, I think, that a lot of people have is that, you know, your son is a trustee, he passes away, and then your daughter-in-law steps in and throws you out. That can't happen if the trust is worded properly. And if you come to us, the trust is going to be worded where no matter what happens, no matter what bad things happen or don't happen, you can't be thrown out of your own house. And if somebody doesn't treat you with the respect you should receive as a parent, well, in that case, you can change the beneficiaries. And, yeah, it's paperwork, and we got to redo the whole thing all over again, but you can change an irrevocable trust in New York, and a lot of people don't realize that. We're very fortunate in New York. They have very liberal rules on what protects uh, you know, real estate from medical bills, nursing home bills, and the trust is irrevocable. We have to have somebody else as a trustee, but you can change the beneficiaries of the trust. You can change the the trustees. Now, Arena, I have a question. Let's say somebody passes away. How do you figure out what the stepped-up basis? How do you get the fair market value, let's say, of real estate? Okay. Uh, so how to get the fair market value? The IRS is um, very clear about how to obtain fair market value as of date of this. Uh, so it uh, would not be a good idea to delay obtaining an independent date of death appraisal for inherited appreciated assets. And if no appraisal was done at the time, the executor or trustee will need to um, engage the help of real estate professional to provide you with the historical fair market volume. And there is no other way to determine your basis for the house. Okay, which also means, let's say for the sake of argument, your, your mother, your father died 10 years ago. And you say, well, I, I don't know what the property was worth in 2011. How am I supposed to find that out? Well, you know, licensed real estate appraisers, they can get on the Internet. They can see comparable sales for that area. And, and to some respect, I would dare say it's a lot easier to find out what a property was worth 10 years ago than today. Because today you really don't know if the market's going to crash in a month. You don't know if it's staying the same. Yeah, you might have some anecdotal information. But when you start talking about 2011, you're going to see all the closings that happened in 2010. You're going to see all the closings that happened in 2012, and you usually can pretty well bracket the date of death value when you're going back in the past. It's easier to check the past than it is to check the present. So, you know, that that's not a problem. And why would you have to go back 10 years? Well, let's say for the sake of argument, your parents left you the house. You've been living in the house the last 10 years. You, you haven't sold it. Um, well, we can go back now. Now, when do you need the appraisal? Well, you need the appraisal. When you're going to sell the property, we need an appraisal. We need a number to s slot into the tax return. And number two, if you have rental property or even like a two-family house, um, you should get an appraisal of the property if you have a two-family house, assuming you're renting part of the house because you get a tremendous tax breaks. Let's say if your house is in a trust or even if you inherit it, you get tremendous tax rates for, through the stepped-up basis where you can depreciate 
part of the house. And and for the sake of argument, let's say you have a million dollar house again. There's, we'll say a straight, make it simple, straight two family house. Well, on the rental part of the house, let's say half, five hundred thousand, you can depreciate. You get roughly twelve thousand dollars a year tax free rent. So you take your expenses. Let's say it's half and half. I'm going to make it simple. It's half and half. Well, then you pay all the expenses on the house. You split them half and half. And then you take the first $12,000 worth of income. And you're not paying tax on it. And that's almost for 40 years, 39 years it can be for. So if, if you're in a position where you inherit a house, and I've seen people all the time, they forget to take full advantage of the tax laws in this case. I'm going to give one other example. Let's say I'm going to go with a million-dollar house. You know, so let's say it's husband and wife. Husband always dies first. I don't know if you men out there realize that, but the husband always dies first. You know, um, so the husband dies first. The house is worth a million dollars. Well, assuming it was both husband and wife on the deed and there are no complications, the husband gets the wife gets a five hundred thousand stepped up basis for her husband's half. So she gets five hundred thousand dollars tax free. She can sell. Assuming it's a personal residence, she gets two hundred fifty thousand dollars tax free because it's a personal residence. And then if we sell within two years of the husband's passing, we get another $250,000 tax-free. So the, the surviving spouse, the widow in this case, can sell this house for a million dollars tax-free. And I don't want to criticize other people, but believe me, there's some local attorneys or accountants who really don't know these rules. And, and if you want to figure out where you're at, you want to get advice, come to see us at Connors & Sullivan. You can give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. You can give us a call. And by the way, if you speak Russian, Irina, you speak Russian. Where are you from originally? I'm from Kazakhstan. Okay. Well, you know, some people are going to say, where is that? <laughs> Near Russia. Near Russia. Okay. Well, it's one of the stands, you know, like Tajikistan and, and so forth. So, um, But if you have any questions or if you speak Russian and you want some advice as far as your taxes or estate planning, give us a call. At Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. Arena, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. And with Arena as proof, I just want to put in that we have some of the most brilliant people <laughs> working on our staff that you could possibly find in New York City. So, yeah. Okay. So maybe in a month or two, we'll, we'll talk about stocks or whatever, because we, we spent most of our time talking about real estate. We'll talk about stocks and bonds on our next next time you're back, Arena. Thank you. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, they are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. 
I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer again, you know, accompanied by my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. All right. So, you know, like, obviously, it was a lot of attention to the elections in Virginia. But, you know, we had some elections in New York City. And in Brooklyn, uh, we interviewed a number of uh, city council candidates. And uh, they've done as a whole remarkably well. Now, Mark Siskevich, who we just had on a couple of weeks ago, He's trailing right now by, I think, 284 votes. And that is extraordinary because he did not have a lot of money. And, you know, to, to, to be in a position in the Democratic city of New York and to get so close to winning without getting matching funds, without getting money, we really truly have to congratulate him for a job well done. That's a set. And, you know, two years ago... If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. 
My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.